Welcome to the New Hope Podcast. Our mission at New Hope is to engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. We pray this message encourages you in encountering God's love and displaying it to your city. We hope to see you soon. Grab your Bibles and turn to Psalms 56. We're coming out of series this week as we look at uh, just the reality of the world that's going on around us. And, And really we're asking and answering this question. What is the church's response? What is our response? What is your response as a follower of Jesus to COVID-19 and just what's going on in the world around us, what's going on in this community and what's going on globally? And so we're coming out of a series in order to focus on that question this morning, or excuse me, this afternoon. If in Psalms 56, we're going to come to it for a second, but just throughout this week, just Myself personally, I'm just reading over passages of scripture and just looking for answers. What, is it, what does God's word have to say specifically to us in this situation? And some verses came across that I found comforting, and I just want to read them to you. And maybe you can write them down as an encouragement to you, even though we will not be studying these passages this afternoon. But first is Psalms 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Isaiah 41, verse 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. One of my favorites is Psalm 73, verse 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. John chapter 14, Jesus says these words, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This afternoon as we dive into God's word and we just look at the world around us and just some things, we've got to answer some questions. We want to talk about some of these things and really kind of see how we respond. So here's the roadmap a little bit for the rest of this service is we're going to study Psalms 56. We're going to ask some questions around the passage as it pertains to us Two questions we're going to end with is, what is my response to God in light of all of this? And what is my response to others around me? We're going to end by answering those questions. And then lastly, we're going to go into a time of prayer. The leaders of our convention that we're a part of have called all churches within our convention to pray today during our worship services. So we're going to end with a time of prayer for our country and for our world around us. But if you would, turn with me to Psalms 56, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Psalms 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? To give some context to the passage, just to help us understand the psalmist, who is King David. King David wrote this psalm, which is what's believed to be the events of 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21, King David, this is before he becomes King David. He's just a little shepherd boy, David. Well, actually, he's kind of beyond that. He's a warrior now. He's been in Saul's army. He's become a mighty warrior for Saul. And now he's on the flee from Saul. Saul is jealous because people are calling out and saying, hey, you know, King David has or David has slaughtered and killed way more people than Saul. And because of that, Saul is jealous. 
David's concerned for his own life. And so King David flees away from Saul and he runs into the other enemy, the Philistines. First Samuel chapter 21 tells us the story of how he ends up in Gath. And there he comes and he finds refuge in the city and in the king. But they don't know who he is. Eventually someone notices him to be who he is. And they recognize him, and he doesn't know how to respond. And so the text tells us that he just begins to act mad. He begins to act like he has lost his mind so that, so that people won't worry about him, won't focus on him, and will ignore him. Eventually, he escapes and is able to find refuge in a cave called Adullam. But it's in this story that he writes Psalms 56. And so recognizing that King David, a warrior fleeing his own country, fleeing his own king, oppressed by his own people, to then flee from that oppression, to end up in the hands of his oppressor, the enemy himself. Imagine you flee one bad situation to get into another bad situation. Hence, you might write these words. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long and attacker oppresses me. All day, doesn't matter where he goes, doesn't matter what he's in, all day, an attacker oppresses him. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. Now recognizing, as we think about our context, specifically of the pandemic in the world around us, the situations are not at all exactly the same. You got King David on one end who is, who is fighting and running from a literal enemy that is trying to kill him. And we over here are trying to fight from germs and run from germs and all these things, which are both very real. But the point is, and the reason why I felt the Lord lead me to this passage to preach on, is verse 3. When I am afraid. See, it doesn't matter whether King David's situation or our situation may not be the same. It doesn't change the reality that the outcome is a naturally fear that rises up in our hearts. And what is our response to that fear? First, I just want to say, just by way of starters, as we think about what is our response, is we should see that our response should be countercultural to the worlds around us. When the world outside of us, meaning the world that is not in Christ, not a follower of Christ, and don't have the same hope that you and I have in Christ... When we see them respond in paranoia, we should not respond the same way, but we should respond wisely and we should be prepared for the reality around us, but we should not respond in paranoia. And specifically here is when we see the world respond in fear, you and I should respond in faith and hope. But it does not change the reality that even as God's covenant people, even as those who do have eternal peace and do have hope, does not change the reality that fear might come in our hearts. What are we to do with this? King David's response, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Let's try to answer that question for a second. We're going to answer it practically. And just straightforward, what can flesh do to me? But then we're going to see what King David meant by this statement and how it's used here in the text. But when you ask the question, what can flesh do to me? The truth is, flesh can do a lot to you. What does he mean? He means a fleshly enemy. He's talking about whether it be the enemy of Saul or whether it be the enemy of the Philistines. He's going, what can flesh do to me? The way the wordage is here and the way he's saying it, it's implying the answer, nothing. Meaning he's calling on the sovereignty of God. But when you and I begin to just practically think about this question, 
Flesh can do a lot to us. And the reality is the sickness around us can do a lot to us, but that is not the point because he's calling out to a sovereign God that is far greater than just simply flesh and flesh, but he's recognizing that there is something far greater than flesh, one that is sovereign and king over all. And so when it comes to this question, what can flesh do to me? Flesh can do a lot to me, but flesh can do nothing to me outside of God's sovereign plan and control over my life. Therefore, because we serve a God who is sovereign and all good, we can have hope and peace even amidst fear. This is what King David is getting at. When I am afraid, I don't put my trust in my own ability to fight. Remember, King David is one of the greatest warriors of his time and of all of history. He doesn't say, when I'm afraid, I fight. When I'm afraid, I train harder or I work harder. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And then in case there's any question who the you is, he immediately says, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust See, it's in moments like this, it's in moments when we see uncertainty in the world around us, when we see uncertainty in our life, we're able to see quickly what is the thing that we trust the most. What is it we're looking for? I mean, there's many in this world who think it's toilet paper for some reason, and toilet paper just seems to disappear, right? We find to put our trust in different things, but what is it that you and I put our trust in? I read a lot of things this week trying to prepare just from my understanding of just the disease and how it's working, but also what is the proper response. And I came across a blog or an article written by a pastor in Italy who is about a month ahead of us in the situation that is going on. And he reflected on how, uh, what has the church learned over the last month as uh, the disease has hit Italy, and then what should we learn from this disease? And he gives eight things, and I just want to point them out to us. What are eight things that uh, he just mentions that we should learn from this? The first is he says, this disease teaches us that we are fragile human beings. Think about this for a moment. That this disease teaches us that we are fragile We like to think that we've got it all under control and that nothing can destroy us and that we are all powerful and all these things. But the reality is, is we are not. And this disease is teaching us that we are not. I've heard it said this way, that we all know that we're going to die, but none of us believe we're going to die. Meaning that we all know it's a reality, but we don't live as if we're going to die. We all live as if that we are not fragile, but this disease is teaching us that we as the human race, we are fragile and that we are not in control, that we are not sovereign. Second, this disease is teaching us our equality amidst ethnicities and races. It's way too often that we see, unfortunately still in our time, just this language of racial tension. And this disease is telling us that there's no respecter of race here. That this disease is getting us all the same. It's showing us our equality. Third, it's showing us a loss of control. It's showing us that we really don't have control over our lives. I made the joke earlier about the toilet paper, but it's kind of true. Like, I kind of get why... You know, hand sanitizer is disappearing, but toilet paper, really? How does this affect us? And I read something this week, um, or my wife did, and she shared it with me that I thought, that's really interesting that someone wrote, why is toilet paper disappearing so much, even though it's not greatly affected by the disease or anything like that? And the answer was simply this, is because in this season where people are losing control of everything, having some of those necessities gives them a sense of control. Knowing that I have basic needs for every day, like using the bathroom and having toilet paper or having food or having some of these things. And in this season of uncertainty, 
buying all the toilet paper and knowing that you have it gives you a sense of control over something. And the truth is, is we like to be in control. I like to be in control. I like to be in control of my life and my schedule and everything else. And so do you. I like to be in control, but this disease is telling us and is teaching us that we ultimately do not have control over every aspect of our life. And this is a good thing because this is going to point us all to the one who is in control. Fourthly, this disease is teaching us the pain of what it means to be excluded. Specifically for those that are even watching online or for us in the coming days, the more and more that we have to become quarantined or isolated from others, the more and more we have to social distance ourselves for the sake of the well-being of our neighbor, we're going to feel this weight. Already I feel it now. Already I can feel the difference of trying to pastor people who I'm not able to look eye to eye with when I'm preaching and the difficulties of that. Already the reality of community groups making decisions, rightfully so maybe, going, hey, we should just take a break from meeting together for the sake of safety and the sake of social distancing. We are feeling what it feels like to be excluded and we're recognizing as we feel that pain that you and I were created for community. You and I were created for one another, and this disease is showing us the hurt of what it means to be separated from others. Fifthly, we're seeing the differences between fear and faith. Now, this is underlying everything else so far that we've kind of talked about, but we're seeing the difference between fear and faith because fear and faith are true reactions that cannot be faked. Right? Fear and faith. When you find yourself in a situation of uncertainty, you will respond as a believer in fear or faith, and you can't fake that response. It shows you something that's true within your heart, and I encourage you not to miss the message that maybe fear is teaching you about where your trust lies in this season. Sixthly, it shows us our need of God and our need to pray. This is the point of the text is that we would put our trust in God in seasons of uncertainty, and we will spend time at the end of service more intentionally praying together. Seven, it teaches us and shows us, this disease shows us the vanity of so much of our lives. Vanity of how much of our lives really don't actually matter all that much. Where we spend our time, our talents, and our treasures, this disease is showing us that those things don't really matter all that much. And so might we learn from this, even in this season. And then lastly, this disease is showing us where our hope is. Talked about this a little bit. Where are we putting our hope? And my encouragement to you, and I hope that God's word will make it clear, and I hope that this message is our hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Our hope is in the one who is in control when we recognize that we are not in control. We used to think we were, but now we're coming to the reality that we are not. And so where are we putting our hope? Is our hope in you know, uh, washing our hands a hundred times, which I wash my hands a hundred times. We should do that. But is my hope there? And the truth is my hope is not there. My hope is in Christ. And so when we look at the situation around us, we look at the King David situation, how might we respond? And so two questions, how might we respond to God and how might we respond to others? So first, how might we respond or how should we respond to God in the situation? And my encouragement to you is that you would turn to him in comfort, not in confrontation. It's often as a pastor, but even as a Christian myself, I'm, I'm faced with two responses when tragedy or trials come my way. And as a pastor, I see this all too often as well. And the response is, we, will, we in tragedy, we will turn to God in one way or another. 
many as those who are not followers of Christ who may fight or may come upon tragedy, they will turn to me and they, as you as Christians, the world around you will turn to you asking this question. If God you save, the God you serve is all powerful and he is all loving, then why is he allowing this to happen? And they'll, they'll give you this argument. Either if God was all powerful and this is happening, therefore he must not be all loving. Because an all powerful God who is all loving would not allow this to happen. So therefore, he must be all-powerful, not all-loving, or he must be all-loving, but not all-powerful. But he can't be both, because if he was both, then the outcome would be what is in my mind. You already see in recognizing the falseness with this argument. Now, I understand the emotion. When someone gives me that argument, emotionally, I connect with that argument. But one of the things for that argument to be true is that you're assuming that you're, the result is ultimately what is best. Meaning you're saying that if God is all-loving and God is all-powerful and there is tragedy in this world, well, obviously a God who's all-powerful and all-loving wouldn't allow tragedy in this world. Therefore, that must be wrong. But the, what if the conclusion's wrong? What if, as we studied in First Peter, that tragedy is not God's doing? Tragedy is a response of our sin. Genesis 3 makes this clear. And that because of that sin, there is hurt, there is brokenness, there is death in this world. And then God in his loving and his kindness and his sovereignty, First Peter tells us that he will use suffering and he will use tragedy in order to display his love to us. But here's the response as people often turn to confront God. And I want to encourage you that this is not the best response in this season. In the moments of tragedy in the world around us, in the community around us, and in possibly your own life, I encourage you not turn to confront God. Turn to Him, yes, but don't turn to confront Him. Meaning, what you're doing is you're putting Him, you're saying you're the judge, and you're putting Him on trial. And if that argument is sufficient for you, and you move God out of the way, then what hope are you still left with? Now, this isn't a perfect argument for the existence of God, but it is to say that if you're going to say that God is not as I expect Him to be, therefore He does not exist, and you move Him out of the way, it doesn't change the reality of tragedy in the situation. So what are you turning to in hope? The reality is you're turning to something for hope. And my encouragement to you would to see that you are to turn to Christ in comfort. When we think about specifically, why is this tragedy happening? Why is this sickness happening? And the truth is, I don't have that answer. I can speak generally that Scripture gives us the answer to why there's pain and suffering in this world. And it is due to our own sin or rebellion against God. That because of that, there is death and there's hurt in this world. But specifically this situation, why is it so? I don't know. But here's one answer I can tell you. And we said this in our First Peter series. I can tell you one thing it's not. It's not because God doesn't love you. The tragedy in the world today is not happening, or it's, it's not happening because God doesn't love you. And that may be double negatives and may be confusing there. Here's the point, is that God does love you, and the existence of suffering is not evidence that he doesn't love you. In fact, the evidence of him stepping into suffering is evidence that he loves us in suffering. God loves us so much that he did not leave us in suffering. But he what? John chapter 1, came. And he took on flesh and he lived amongst us and he lived sinless, perfect life. And then he went to the cross and he bore our pain and suffering that you and I deserve because of sin in order to display his love for us in suffering. Therefore, 
we can say because they're suffering does not mean that God does not love us. In fact, we see that he loves us greatly because of suffering, because he stepped into suffering for us. Second Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I want you to see the argument here, that if we are going to comfort someone else, then we must first go through an affliction, we must go through pain and suffering, and be comforted by God so that we know how to comfort someone else. Well, the same is true for Christ. When we think of Hebrews that says we have a great high priest who has suffered and been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. And therefore, he is our great high priest that comforts us. And he is the great high priest that goes before us to the Father. The same is true for him to be able to comfort us and for him to be able to be that for us. He too must have suffered. And we see that he has done that for us on the cross. And Jesus specifically would say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How should you respond to God in the season? I would encourage you to turn to him. But don't turn to him in confrontation, because I promise you that you are seeing from this that we are finite beings. Who are we to question an infinite God? But instead, might we comfort to him, come to him, yes, with our questions, yes, with our concerns, yes, with our cries of pain. He can handle it, but come to him and turn to him in such a way so that he might comfort you. Lastly, last question, how should we respond to others? And I want you to hear this. Might we seek mission, not isolation? Let me say that again. How do we respond to others in this season? Might we seek mission, not isolation? How do we seek mission over isolation? Three ways. First, might we focus on the vulnerable populations that will be particularly hit by this virus? This is primarily statistically true for older men and women and those with underlying health risks. Think through those in your immediate reach in either of these categories and how you can help them prepare. Do they need food or medicine? Do they have lines of communication if they were to come into need? How might they get in contact with you? How might you love and care for them? One of the things that as we make decisions as a church about social distancing and how we're going to do service in the days to come, let me be honest My hope is in Christ, and I do not desire to become sick myself, but that is not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is I don't want to be someone who carries and makes someone else sick. My biggest concern is not for myself, but how I might be for others. And so when we think about mission over isolation, might we not focus on ourselves, but might we focus on the vulnerable and those around us, and might we serve them? Second, we must resist The bunker mentality that prioritizes myself over others. The first was more specific. This is a little more general. But we need to always listen absolutely to medical professionals. And if we are sick in any way, yes, we need to isolate ourselves. Yes, we need to completely keep our distance from others. However, we cannot be controlled by fear, especially if we are well. Therefore, when everyone else is thinking, I, let me get all the toilet paper I can and everything else... Might we be thinking, what do I have and how can I sacrificially give to others? My wife has already modeled this by reaching out to our neighbors and letting them know we are here. And if they need help in any way, 
that they can contact us. My mom has, um, excuse me, my wife has good relationships with some of the uh, elderly and around us, and she's reached out to them to let them know that they are okay, to check on them and let them know that we're here for them if they need, and that we have any resources that they have. Anything we have that they can have, anything we need, they can have from us. We must not bunker down and keep it for ourselves, but might we respond in giving to others? Might we as a church just simply of just reaching out to people and letting them know we are here and care for them and that we want to sacrificially give to them and help them in any way, might this display the gospel? When we talk about how we are to respond to the world around us in the season, we must be countercultural to the rest of the world. We must be countercultural that's fighting out of fear and paranoia to get what I need to do for me to survive. And yes, I, you should be wise. And like uh, if you've ever flown before and you, you, have, you go through the safety and it says that if your mask, if a mask comes or whatever, make sure you put yours on first before you help someone else. And I always thought, there's no way I'm going to do that. I'm always going to help my kid first. So I'm going to do this. I remember being a teenager thinking that, but now I understand the importance that if I'm not taken care of, it's hard for me to take care of others. So I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of yourself at all, but what I am saying is we must respond not in selfishness, but in sacrificial love towards other. And then thirdly, as we think about how we are to respond, we must be ready to pay a cost. I can't promise that being missional in the midst of a crisis will not come with a cost, Many Christians who ministered in the midst of plague or who gave over the resources, even famine throughout church history, paid with their lives. I don't say this to induce panic, and I recognize that this may cause hesitation. But the point is, is you and I recognize that as Christians, we have been saved and we have been sent on mission. That as Christians, we recognize that this is not our home that our flesh may fail, but Christ will redeem us and restore us. And then, so into the, our question of the text, what can flesh do to me? In this sense, flesh can do nothing to me because God is in control. And through Christ, he has promised that although I will die physically, I will be resurrected to life both physically and already have been spiritually, according to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm not to say that we won't pay a cost for this, and I'm not to to cast fear, but I am trying to let us see that this is not our home and that our job is to live on this, on this side of eternity, honoring him, bringing kingdom and glory to, to the name of Jesus. And it's our job to live on this pilgrimage to one day see Jesus face to face and to take as many people with us as possible. And this is a season that the church has an opportunity to respond in great countercultural ways. Technically, as we think about theologically speaking, we are considered evangelical Christians. Now, the phrase evangelical Christians has seen better days due to, due to the political climate that we are in. And we have an opportunity to show what is the core about us as those who would call themselves evangelical Christians. I'm not talking about that politically. I'm talking about that theologically. Let's recognize the difference of the terms there. But we have an opportunity to say, what makes us evangelical? What makes us evangelical is that we love Jesus above all. That we study and know God's word and we are faithful and obedient to him. And that we are missional. That we care more about Christ and others than we do ourselves. And we have an opportunity to display the love of Jesus mightily in the days to come. Let us not miss it. 
The point of ready, or the point is for us to be ready to pay a cost, is to recognize that we are not living for this side of eternity, but we're living for the other side of eternity. So, how might we respond? Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, and an attacker oppresses me. And it feels like for us, no matter where we go, we run the risk and the fear of running into an enemy simply called a virus. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. But when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? question I simply have for you that are in the room or watching online is in whom or what do you place your trust? And I want to encourage you that I pray that I'm not grateful for the circumstances. I'm not. But I do believe and I'm grateful for what God is teaching us through these circumstances. That we are not in control. That if our hope is in anything other than God, we are putting our hope in something that is also not in control. We are putting our hope in something else that will fade away. But we might see that our hope, our peace, our love, our joy is in God and Christ alone. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.